Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Sports Media Box podcast. This is John Lewis along with Drew Lerner. Let's dive on in and start with the college football story of the season. The Colorado Buffaloes who suffered their first defeat of the year and in spectacular fashion Saturday against Oregon. And yet it was still the most watched game of the season as per Nielsen with more than 10 million viewers. That's really not a surprise. Once you get 9.3 million viewers for a game against Colorado State, that starts at 10 o'clock Eastern time. Obviously, no matter the result, 3.30 against a mainstream team like Oregon, you're going to see even bigger numbers than that. Certainly, had the game been good, you might have seen 12, 13 million viewers, but for a 42-6 to game that uh, was not even as close as that final score, uh, 10 million viewers is certainly uh, spectacular. Colorado was now played in four of the seven most watched games this season. This is the team that didn't play in any of the top 161 games last season. So it's a pretty remarkable rating story. There's a lot of people, they have an issue with Dion. They have an issue with the hype. You know, it is what it is. Um, But you can't deny the interest level is real. It's not media hype. It's not the media forcing Dion down anyone's throat. This is an organic viewership surge that really has more in common with Caitlin Clark, even to an extent, and obviously not to the same magnitude, of what the Cubs did in 2016 with the ratings that were so disproportionately strong. There are stories every now and again in sports that attract an audience that would never otherwise watch. And that's what's happening right now with Dion and the Buffaloes. And the real question is, will it continue this week after that embarrassing loss against USC? They're back in the noon window. And uh, back on Fox, they've gotten some good numbers in that window this year, but it'll be interesting to see if the bloom is off the rose. Drew, I'll go ahead and bring you in. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, When you bring up those other examples like Caitlin Clark and the Cubs, you know, for me, I'm searching for that common denominator, right? Like, what is it about these particular stories that make for this organic interest, this um, surge in viewership? Because there are plenty of other sports stories that might be appealing to you know the sports psycho like us but um you know it doesn't kind of have that broad facing appeal like like the Deion Sanders story so what what do you think it is I mean I have no idea you know I said last week that some of it is Deion being a star of the past and those 1990s stars had a particular kind of appeal that is impossible to achieve now there's been a lot of talk about the monoculture that we had in the 90s uh, and, you know, where everyone saw Seinfeld. But not everybody saw Seinfeld. I mean, I certainly did. But, you know, there were niche shows back then. There were shows like Living Single and, and whatnot. But for the most part, everybody saw the same stuff and they had a, a common language that doesn't exist anymore. I'll give you an example. Series finale of MASH in 1983, 106 million viewers. A decade later, Cheers, series finale, 93 million. So that's still big, but that's 10 million fewer viewers 
and Cheers was as big a cultural institution as MASH, if not even bigger. Five years later, Seinfeld goes off the air with an absolutely massive 70-ish million viewers. That's massive. When, when Seinfeld went off the air, people would not leave their homes. They were all sitting in their homes watching Seinfeld. Who was it? Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra died that night. And they were able to get him from his house to the hospital really fast because the roads were clear because of Seinfeld, right? But still, that's 70-something million viewers, about 20 million fewer than Cheers five years earlier, which was 10 million fewer than MASH 10 years earlier. Six years after that, Friends goes off the air with an absolutely massive 52 million viewers. Now, Friends is obviously your generation knows Friends more than they know Seinfeld and Cheers and MASH. Friends was a massive, massive hit. Went off the air with 50 million viewers, sure, right? Yeah. 20 million fewer than Seinfeld six years earlier. 40 million fewer than Cheers 11 years earlier. And half the audience of MASH 20 years earlier, right? That monoculture from the 80s to about 2004 really, really eroded. And of course, now, outside of football, nothing's getting 30 million. That's a long way of saying, obviously, things were different in the 90s. And Dion is part of that culture that steadily eroded throughout that period of time, but nonetheless, was bigger than the now. And are, are, are you suggesting that maybe... A large part of why Dion specifically has struck a chord um, viewership wise is maybe a nostalgia from that type of viewer, um, you know, that had that experience of the monoculture of the 90s that kind of and not necessarily wants to relive it, but wants to see where such a superstar like that um, can take a program like Colorado. Do you think, you know, is that why? More like a common point of reference. The same reason we have a Frasier reboot next month. A lot of people know what Frasier is, right? And a lot of people know who Deion Sanders is. And so that common point of reference that you just don't have anymore outside of a select few people, um, you know, that is a factor. The last athlete to have that, well, the last athletes to have that were like Brady and LeBron and Serena, and maybe not even Serena, you know, maybe not even Brady. Honestly, I think it might just be LeBron because I'm, I'm talking about the kind of nationwide, everybody knows their name, where you don't follow sports or pop culture at all and you know the person's name, you know, and Dion was, well, maybe he wasn't quite to that extent, but back then, you know, certainly playing in the NFL and in baseball at the same time. I mean, think about how big Bo Jackson was. Dion was at least in that neighborhood so let's game this out um for the next week or two right um of course we got the big matchup with usc this weekend fox's big noon game you know there there's a few possibilities here they they could go to usc and and put up a similar performance that they did in eugene right and and get blown out they could go to usc play a close game maybe lose and of course they could also win so um Let's maybe go scenario by scenario. If if they do put up a similar performance like they did this this week against Oregon, um, is this is this coming off the rails viewership wise? Well, it's not coming off the rails. You don't go from delivering four of the seven largest audiences of the season in your first four games to not drawing. They're not going to go back to being a one million viewer team. Um, but I do think 
so viewership has grown from week to week. Seven million against TCU, eight million against Nebraska, nine million against Colorado State, ten million against Oregon. This will be the first week that that falls back. Maybe it falls to a season low. You know, I mean, I think it could go to that level where, you know, it's it's the least watched of, of their games, but probably still six point seven, six point eight million, which is for Fox a massive number, right? You know, Fox, that big noon window, just from having Colorado three times, basically guaranteed to increase over last year, uh, which is amazing to say. Because when, when Fox started putting out the ads, you know, Dion on the Buffalo, it seemed like such utter and complete uh, nonsense, right? Nobody bought that it was going to matter this much to, to this many people, but it obviously did. Uh, so that will be uh, still a big success for Fox, but I do think they'll they they will see their smallest audience yet or if not their smallest audience yet a smaller audience in the past two weeks conversely let's say you know they they upset usc this week do we see another bump um in viewership is do they rebuild some of the momentum that they might have lost this week absolutely if they can go out and beat usc convincingly you know oregon is ranked lower than usc correct you know and yeah yeah that coach at Oregon, Dan Lanning, needed to make his name off of Deion Sanders. Lincoln Riley doesn't need Deion Sanders to make his name. I know who Lincoln Riley is, right? So that that's a real, you know, that that's that's if if he can if if, De, if Deion and, and Colorado can actually beat Lincoln Riley and, and USC, that would certainly get the train back on the tracks. I, I would say, and uh, uh, I think the hype machine would be would be running at, at full, full full velocity. Now, a lot of this viewership story was kind of being framed against uh, arguably what the, was considered the game of the week, which was Notre Dame and Ohio State. That was uh, on NBC's uh, primetime window. That got just a tick under $10 million by Nielsen. Um, and I think if you look at the, you know, the PR stories from you know, ABC and NBC, NBC might have said they got a little higher than Colorado, Oregon uh, with their internal streaming data. That is to say, these are two hugely prominent, you know, blue blood programs in college football. Um, and they're, you know, they get the prime time window Saturday night, um, arguably one of the biggest games of the season. And it still finished a tick under uh, 10 million, a tick under Colorado, Oregon, which was a huge blowout. Um, this Ohio State Notre Dame game was competitive all the way to the very end um do you read anything into that game uh not rating as highly as uh the blowout that was colorado oregon well just what was obvious to everybody which is that colorado is the biggest story in the sport you know um so i mean obviously ohio state notre dame that did great i will say it is worth noting let's use nbc's total audience delivery number right don't ask me why NBC doesn't have their streaming numbers included by Nielsen. Who knows? They seem to be the only one that doesn't. So they bring in Adobe Analytics. We have to do this whole TAD thing, whatever, right? Uh, but let's use their number, which is 10.59 million, which is higher than Colorado, Oregon. Um, that number is up a, a barely from the same Ohio State-Notre Dame game last year. I feel like people forgot these two teams played last year. Uh, and they played in week one on ABC. I don't think it was as good of a game because I don't remember it. Um, it but, was not. Um, I, I believe Ohio State handled them. 
Yeah, and it was 10.53 million just on ABC. Lo and behold, by the way, apparently ESPN has extra streaming viewership um, between the couch cushions that I didn't know about. Because today, they the Nielsen number for the ESPN Colorado Oregon game is 10 million. And ESPN all of a sudden is talking about 10.3 million that I guess is from additional streaming data. Yep. Since when does ESPN do that? It's been six or seven years since ESPN was adding in additional streaming data into their press releases. So who even knows at this point? But um, so I will say, though, that if ESPN has additional streaming data that would allow them to create a TAD that is comparable to NBC's, based on that, then last year's Ohio State-Notre Dame game, which was $10.53 million on Nielsen alone, would obviously do even better than this year's apples to apples. Trying to find an apples to apples comparison in this business is almost impossible at this point, right? But uh, I, I do think that is something worth noting. At the very least, a comparable audience was watching this exact same matchup last year. NBC put out a press release on Monday. This is the most watched NBC game in 20 years. Nobody reads press releases anymore. They just read the superlative. So there are people out there who think that was the most watched college football game on any network in 20 years. There are people who think that. But it wasn't. It wasn't even as big a draw. Well, I mean, it was on par with the same matchup last year and obviously lower than things like Michigan, Ohio State. Even Tennessee, Georgia and Tennessee, Alabama did better last year on the SEC on CBS. This wasn't some kind of historic audience. It was historic for NBC. So this was kind of the first week of, you know, real high profile matchups in college football. Um, you know, we just got the viewership numbers today. Can you draw any conclusions about the overall health of college football viewership based off of this week? It's a great season. It's doing very well. Six games this season with over 8 million viewers. Last year, you had seven for the whole year, all the way through to Thanksgiving and I mean, that, that's incredible to get to that point in September. Um, I do think that obviously a lot of it is based on just Colorado. But the fact is, you also have Texas, Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, FSU, LSU. And by the way, you have exciting teams that are good this year. I mean, let's, let's take a look at the AP top 25. Texas at number three. We haven't seen Texas at number three in a long time. Florida State at number five. Florida State is a team people care about. People love to disparage Florida State in more ways than one. People care about Florida State. Uh, Penn State, we have Penn State's been good recently, but you know. Uh, and then all these Pac-12 teams, Washington, USC, Oregon. Pac-12 hasn't been relevant in years. You know, the Pac-12, it's, it's, they're picking the, the wrong time to finally get back to relevance. But I mean, it's good to have those teams be a factor. Uh, Notre Dame, obviously with the loss, but that's a pretty good loss to have. They'll be in the playoff mix. And then Alabama, very important that they got their season back on track. You don't want Alabama to be totally out of it. You just want them to not be dominant. Uh, and LSU. And, and then even further down, how about Duke? That's an underdog story. Miami, they're ranked you know, 18, but they're 4-0, making that Miami-Florida State game very attractive. Oregon State, uh, and I forgot to mention Washington State, are they even ranked? Yeah, they are. Washington yep. State, Oregon State. So I do want to say, this as a quick aside, 
these coaches uh, really embarrassed themselves over the weekend. Uh, this, uh, the grandstanding was really pathetic. Uh, the Washington State coach really disgusted me with his comments about Lee Corso. First of all, he doesn't even get accurate what Lee Corso said. He's ripping Lee Corso, who's 88 years old, an 88-year-old stroke survivor who every single week is like pushing himself to the limit just to be on the air. He's getting on his case because uh, he thought Lee Corso said that the Washington State Oregon State game was the nobody watches us bowl. What Lee actually said was the nobody wants us bowl, which is maybe a little harsh, but it's true. Uh, right, that they're the last two teams in the Pac-12, uh, and uh, you know, I, I, and between him and Ryan Day uh, showing his whole backside, this was just a, a, a weekend of college football coaches, some of the highest paid employees in their respective states being uh, absolutely insufferable. Uh, but, do, you, do you think part of this is the attention that Dion's gotten for some yeah. of his comments and it's kind of galvanized some of these other coaches to you know get more uh, media attention? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I will say this. If you find Dion obnoxious, you're right. He's obnoxious. Uh, if you find Dion obnoxious, but you don't have a problem with these other guys, well, then that might be a problem because they're all obnoxious. Lane Kiffin's obnoxious. You know, I mean, you, you could go down the list of some of these top college the, football, you got Dabo like, Sweeney and Jim Harbaugh. They're all obnoxious. Those coaches, man, they just get on my nerves. They, they, they are, they are so unlikable. So Washington state and Oregon state are good stories. I mean, not like their coach. But they're good stories, and they're 16 and 19, and they're underdog stories you can root for. And so even Kansas at 4-0, Duke and Kansas are both ranked and both undefeated. It's a little bit like 2007. Everyone talks about that 2007 season where you had number two Missouri versus number one Kansas at the end of the year. I mean, that was insane, right? And by the way, they're both ranked again. Missouri 23, Kansas 24. There's just so many interesting stories. Every week, there's teams you want to watch, and that is the recipe for good TV ratings. All right, John, uh, that, that seems like a good place to uh, wrap up the college discussion. Uh, let's move it on to the National Football League, um, where there are some interesting viewership storylines, I think, headlined by one huge question I have for you, John. Did Taylor Swift actually move the needle for Fox's Sunday national window game? Chiefs Bears. So, first of all, I want to preface this by saying I don't know what Taylor Swift's speaking voice sounds like. Uh, so, uh, I, I'm not the person. This is a Taylor Swift free zone. I'm not going to be showing up like a Jamie Erdahl and uh, there was somebody else. Jamie Erdahl and somebody else were wearing Taylor Swift shirts on the air yesterday. I mean, I don't know, man. Uh, it's it's gotten it's gotten insane. I mean, I I like Taylor Swift. I I'm not gonna you know sit here and and hate on her, but it it is it's impressive how much she's penetrated the NFL media psyche uh, this past week. <laughs> um, look, the reality is that let's get down to brass tacks. Did this actually have an impact? Um, my understanding, I don't know where I read it. I don't know if it was a Fox press release. I don't know if it was. I, I saw the Fox press release. I saw probably three aggregated articles about that press release. And I think I know where you're going with. Yeah. So this is from Robert Seidman. He says pretty much every demo was down for the 
game where uh, Bears, Chiefs, Cardinals, Cowboys, week over week. So that's compared to week two. Uh, with the exception of the female 12 to 17 demo, which was up 8.1%. So obviously that would seem to indicate that maybe they tuned in for, for Taylor Swift. Um, I only do, I mean, obviously I can do a week to week comparison as well, but you know, I typically do week, you know, year over year. Um, and I don't, you know, the numbers I have don't break down by gender. So, uh, you know, I don't know. All I know is the viewership was down for that window compared to last year when it was Rogers and Brady down in all the, uh, all the, uh, measures that I look at. So household rating viewership, 18 to 49, 18 to 34 and 25 to 54 across all demos, which makes sense. I mean, it held up a lot better than I was expecting, but you know, it is still the Cowboys and Chiefs. It was a huge blowout, 31 points. I suspect that in most markets, I was watching Red Zone, but I suspect in most markets, they switched over to the Cowboys game. And they switched at halftime in every market aside from Kansas City and Chicago. Yep. That's the Cowboys. The Cowboys did that. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think this is like the dress. Remember on Twitter, the dress, is it yellow or... Ah, yeah, of course. Black and blue. And I just felt like I had really fallen off like the planet and was surrounded by pod people because it was like, what is this? Why, why would anybody care about this? And it feels like one of those things where all the grown adults on Twitter in their thirties and forties try to pretend they're in high school again and they're all giddy and, Hey, let's have some fun. And I'm like, I I'm not vibing with it. Yeah. You definitely can't argue with the, uh, the social buzz generated by by Taylor, but uh, yeah, I I'm not um, totally sold on the fact that, she had any impact on on the viewership for for that Fox window, especially when you consider the game was a blowout. They moved off the game at halftime in most markets. Um, but a fun story. Yeah, I mean, it's just for me, I, I, I can't vibe with that. Like the idea, it's all too forced. It's all too giddy. And um, it's... I, I thought, I thought you were... Sorry, I, I thought you were teeing us up for an all too well pun. Um, which, I don't know what that is. Oh, oh, okay. That's a Taylor Swift that. song. <laughs> I will tell you, I don't know any of her songs. I literally don't know any of her songs. I'm not Iron Eagle. I can't. Yeah, you know, it, and it's that honestly might be the thing that's come of this that bothers me the most. It's it was fun the first few times when you had, you know, then you know, Travis Kelsey finds a blank space or you know the Iron Eagle thing. Um, you know, once it's been done three, four, five times, um, maybe it's time to let it go, uh, find a new, um, find a new witty. yeah, or, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, all right, let's, I'll, I'll try to bring us back on topic here, John. Um, let's look at the rest of the NFL slate. Sunday night was Pittsburgh and Las Vegas, 19.2 million for NBC, uh, takeaways from that game. Hey, that's a lot better than I thought. I mean, I, I was sitting there trying to figure out why would you put this game on? I know people say the Steelers are supposed to be good. Are the Raiders supposed to be good? No. So why were they on Sunday Night Football? Pittsburgh's a team where you're always going to have that national audience, of course. You have a built-in national audience. Vegas is a team where you probably know down the line they're, they're not going to be very good, but people don't know that early in the season. You have a traditional rivalry. Pittsburgh and Vegas, um, you know, you're going to have to put some of these less appealing games on Sunday night. 
in the first place. Uh, so you might as well get a traditional rivalry with two kind of big brands, at least big historical brands on before we know if uh, either of these teams are, are good or not. You make a great point, and, and that's what I was going to get at, which is they're two traditional brands. I was not expecting the power of those brands to be enough to get people to tune into that game, but it was, and nearly 20 million viewers. And if you can get nearly 20 million viewers for a game that really isn't that good on paper, that saves the really good games for later in the year or for other spots. So uh, I thought that was, you know, the NFL, hey, uh, shame on me for doubting the NFL's uh, wisdom when it comes to scheduling. Although, of course, next week when the Jets host the Chiefs, it'll be a different story. Yeah, and that'll be interesting um, to see the viewership for that one. I mean, you're still getting that New York market there, and maybe there's some intrigue. I don't think many people have seen the Jets since the week one game with Aaron Rodgers going down. Um, and then, of course, whatever is happening with Travis Kelsey um, and Taylor Swift might also... <laughs> I you know I just I might be contradicting myself now, but uh you know maybe that's got some sort of appeal. Who knows? Okay, and as for Monday night, John, uh, I hear we have some numbers. Um, a second one of those ESPN Monday night doubleheaders. Um, how did those break down? Well, as you can expect, because ABC had the early game and ESPN the late game, this was a different margin than last week. ABC obviously still won out, but instead of doubling ESPN. Uh, it was ABC at 13.7 million and ESPN and ESPN2 at 9 million. So much smaller margin. This will probably be what you see going forward because I think ESPN, if you're going to have the audience split, you want ESPN, the cable networks, to get more of that audience. Uh, so last week was actually the least watched Monday Night Football game ever, Saints-Panthers. Not really that meaningful given the circumstances, but uh, you know, ESPN and ESPN2 had 2 million more viewers this week. Now, ABC had about maybe 1.8 fewer uh, million, maybe about the same margin, 2 million fewer. So uh, I, I do think they're trying to do their little experiment. They had the ESPN early, ABC late. This week was the ABC early, ESPN late, later in the year, both at the same time. Depending on what happens with that third one, maybe they'll go both at the same time going forward. But I think if they're going to do it staggered, ABC early, ESPN late, at least allows for ESPN to do a little bit better. Also helps out Scott Van Pelt because of the direct lead out. And then going into next week, John, um, we'll have our first of the NFL London slash European games. Uh, as they are not exclusive to London this year. An ESPN plus exclusive. That'll be called by the you know B team for ESPN, the Chris Fowler, Dan Orlovsky, Lewis Riddick crew. Um, do you have any takeaways from their performance over two weeks uh, going into this third game? They're a perfectly fine team. Obviously, they're closer to Tessitore and McFarland and uh, Levy and Riddick and Greasy uh, than they are to Buck and Aikman. Buck and Aikman are at a whole different level. But, you know, they're a perfectly serviceable B team. You have to have good B teams. Not, you can't have you know, an A-team and another A-team and another A-team and another A-team, right? Uh, so, you know, to me, I think they work well together. Chris Fowler is obviously not a traditional play-by-play -play voice, but, you know, Chris is an interesting one. I think Chris isn't as good on play-by-play -play as Brent Musburger, his predecessor on college football. I, I, I don't even think it's close 
that's going to sound meaner than I intended to be, but I don't think it's close. But I think Fowler and Herbstreet is a better team than Musburger and Herbstreet. And the reason for that is, you know, Brent, as we all remember with Catherine Webb or any other of these other things, Brent is a legend, but he plays it up. And sometimes it's more about Brent than anything else. Fowler is not the same level of play-by-play voice as Brent. You'll never hear a Chris Fowler call that lives in the in your memories like a Brent Musburger call. But he's serviceable. He gets you from point A to point B, and he doesn't take over the game. Uh, he he does not he does not douse you in himself like Brent, especially toward the end when Brent's like, no one can talk to me. I'm Brent Musburger, right? But at the end, you know, Brent was just overdoing it. Um, I, I will say, even though Fowler is not as, as good a play-by-play voice, I actually think he's a great fit for this role. I think he's a better fit than Joe Tessitore, right? So let's go back and take a look at the other B-team folks. Steve Levy, I think a lot of people like Steve Levy, understandably so. But we know that Steve Levy is not the strongest play-by-play voice, right? I would say Fowler's better in this role than Tessitore, who was the number two and then be elevated. He wasn't demoted back to number two like, like Levy. Tessitore is a great play-by-play voice. And he obviously did the game, uh, the, the most watched game of the college season against Oregon, Colorado, right? Um, but he's got a little bit of that. Tessitore has a little bit of that Musburger, a little bit of that ballyhoo. And he overdoes it a little bit. And that's one of the reasons why I don't think he's on Monday Night Football anymore. It's a little bit too much. And then, of course, McDonough, who is a perfectly great play-by-play voice, but didn't bring anything to Monday Night Football for whatever reason. I mean, he didn't bring any energy to it for two years. Uh, I still don't understand. So you could argue that Fowler is better than everybody that they've had since Tirico, save, obviously, for Buck and Aikman. Uh, now, that might be overstating it. But that's how I feel right now. Give me a few more weeks. Maybe I'll have a different opinion. Yeah. And, you know, they definitely get more reps now uh, with with the new NFL deals. They get five games each year, including this London series game. Uh, I would like to shout out the uh, the analyst duo of Orlovsky and, and Riddick, because I, I think that those two are, are a pretty substantial upgrade versus, uh, you know, Brian Greasy and, and Lewis Riddick. And Orlovsky's just been, you know, he's been a rising star at ESPN. Um, and I think you might as well kind of put some of your younger talent in the booth. They appear on all of your morning shows and your NFL lives and all of that. They've proven themselves there, um, especially in a three-man booth situation. You can afford to have someone that might not be as polished um, in terms of calling games uh, as, you know, maybe a Brian Greasy who has a little more experience in the booth. But their uh, analysis of the game uh, is probably a little bit improved, and you get you get that uh, broadcast pro like Lewis Riddick to kind of cover up some of the rougher edges. So I think that's worked out well uh, for ESPN there. Yeah, it's a perfectly serviceable booth. It's not an A quality booth, the same way Levy Riddick and Greasy wasn't, the same way that Tessitore and McFarland weren't. But if you're just judging by B team standards, you're as good a B team as anybody. This seems like a good place to to wrap up, John. Uh, any parting thoughts on the NFL? 
No, not really. We've talked and talked and talked, right? I don't have anything else to say. The NFL is the NFL. The ratings are going to be good forever. And uh, every now and again, when a black player says something about police brutality, some people on the internet will try to pretend that the ratings aren't good and they'll be wrong. That's pretty much it. Yeah, that very succinctly said. All right, John, why don't you tee us up for next week and close us out? Yeah, next week, uh, the NHL preseason has already started. NBA preseason does start next week. We have uh, Women's Gymnastics Worlds. Simone Biles will be in Antwerp uh, getting her elbows done. That's a Frasier reference. If you uh, like Frasier, in Antwerp, getting your elbows done is a Frasier reference. And if you can tell me, listeners, what Frasier episode that is, you won't win anything. I won't give anything to you. And no sports media watch swag to give out. No. Uh, but no, uh, Simone Biles will be in Antwerp and uh, competing in the Worlds. That'll be big. Uh, and, how about uh, how about Ryder Cup ratings? You know, oh, yeah, that's something. big too. I, was try- I knew there was something else. <laughs> yes. Ryder Cup will be. I don't know if it's big. It's going to be on at like 1 a.m. on the East Coast. But uh... Well, NBC is going to air coverage from 3 a.m. to 6 p.m. uninterrupted. Which I can't believe. 6 p.m. I don't believe is right. Is that unless they're replaying tape delay? Well, yeah, you're right. There won't even be any live play. But the point is not what's live or not, but just that NBC was able to get its affiliates to go along with 3 a.m. to 6 p.m. on a Sunday. I mean, unless I'm reading it wrong, that's what the NBC press release said. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah, I was looking at the schedule. I must have missed that because I th- I thought the the trophy ceremony is going to be at like twelve p.m. to one, or maybe eleven a.m. to twelve p.m. And then, then uh, at that point, at that point, they'll already be in the sports window, the sports day part where they wouldn't have anything yeah. else. So you might gotcha. as well rerun. So yeah, three a.m. to six p.m. That's absurd. Wow. Yeah. Um. Uh, I, for one, am excited. I'll probably be going with very minimal sleep this week because of that. Um, but that should be fun to see uh, some more overnight sports ratings because who doesn't love comparing uh, the 3 a.m. window of you know, Friday's Ryder Cup matches to uh, the Women's World Cup? Yeah, I mean, it's... I don't expect good ratings. It's a European Ryder Cup. I mean, it's it's a European Ryder Cup. And it's, I don't know, who's even in it? Who's, is Rory going to be in it? Rory, John Rahm, Victor Hovland. Yeah, the, the Europeans have a formidable top half of the squad. Uh, the bottom half uh, might have a few question marks, but um, they, they always tend to pull it out somehow over on European soil. So I'm, I'm betting on a close match. I won't be watching, but uh, hope, I hope you enjoy it. Thank you, thank you. Um, All right, I think that does it for us. Another week down, more to go. We'll see you back here next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.